Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey everybody and welcome back to HR Latte. I am continuing my series, The Pursuit of Happiness. And we have touched a little bit on money and how that is involved in this pursuit. My guest on this particular series is Dr. Daniel Crosby. Thanks, Dr. Crosby, for joining me again. Thanks for having me. Can you give us just a brief intro of yourself? And then if there's a way for folks to get in touch with you, if you could share that as well. Uh, yeah, so I'm a psychologist by education, but I work in finance. So I have a, an investment advisory firm called Nocturne Capital. So you can go to nocturnecapital.com uh, or reach out on Twitter at Daniel Crosby. Perfect. And that's N-O-C-T-U-R-N-E capital.com. So thanks, Dr. Daniel, for joining me today. You had written a blog post entitled Can Money Buy Happiness? And I was so intrigued by this because I had just released my own post called The Pursuit of Happiness. And I I could see a direct correlation between our writings and wanted you to come and be on HR Latte and talk a little bit more about this topic and about your ideas. We're going to shift gears from my ideas from our first show, part one of this series, and talk a little bit more about your ideas and how money can be directly attached to happiness or the thought that money can buy happiness. So this particular episode, we're going to discuss how money does not directly equate to meaning. Throughout the media today, and we can see it among both of the key presidential candidates, how important and influential money has been to their campaigns and their backgrounds with the the foundation behind one candidate and the big business behind the other candidate. We can see that money has had played a great deal in getting them to where they are. Uh, not only the only thing, obviously, but it's it's been a part of it. And not to get into too too much of politics here, and actually not at all to get into politics here. But I would love to talk about how money can or does not buy happiness, and and what the meaning of life is. I know that if you, I don't know if you have an iPhone, but one of the funny, quirky little things about an iPhone is if you pull up Siri and ask, "What is the meaning of life?" Siri will give you several different answers. It's it's quite amusing. So those of you listening, if you haven't done this, ask your phone what the meaning of life is and, and you will get a couple of different answers. What do you believe, Dr. Crosby, in, in equating it to your article, what is the meaning of life? So I'm going to draw on the, the thoughts of Viktor Frankl, who is absolutely my sort of professional hero. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist in Austria who lived through the the horrors of World War II and frankly lost everything and everyone he loved in the Nazi death camps. But he came out of this stronger and he wrote a book that I think should be a required reading for humankind 
called Man's Search for Meaning. And he has this quote in there that is how I think about meaning. And he says, ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked. In a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. So this is sort of some psychobabble in a sense, but basically what he's saying here is the meaning of life is to find meaning. And the meaning of life is to determine what the meaning of your life is, which is a little circular. But he also, throughout the book, quotes, he channels Friedrich Nietzsche, who says uh, that those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And so basically, he says what saw him through the horrors of the concentration camp was looking forward to something bigger and better uh, than all of this. And he suggests that that is what we all ought to do find out what the most important thing for us is, and that's going to look different for every person, and then let that be sort of the North Star that guides all of our decisions. That's really, really interesting and speaks to our first episode on this topic, which we talked about um, looking beyond the DNA part of how happiness plays a part in our life, that it, it is your responsibility to pursue that happiness and whether circumstances get in the way of that or money gets in the way or the lack thereof. And we'll, and we'll dive in further to that. But another point that I wanted to make is as you're speaking, all I can see is Curly riding on the horse in City Slickers, the character played by Jack Palance when the character played by Billy Crystal asks him, so what's, what is the meaning of life? And he looks right at him and holds his finger up and says, what does that mean? I don't get it. And he says, it's for you to figure out. You know, that's what, that's what the meaning of life is. It's about you figuring out what your meaning of life is. And it sounds like that is the direction that Frankel was going. And I think that we can ultimately find personally the meaning for each of us. I really appreciate your answer there and, and sharing that. I will definitely check out man's search for meaning. What do you believe we have had or, or why do you believe Dr. Crosby, we have had, the, you reference a faulty foundation in your, your recent post. Why do you believe that has happened, the faulty foundation that we see money as the how we can find happiness? So in a weird way, I think it's tied into something, in something positive. This faulty foundation is rooted in our ability to adapt. So I think that most people really underestimate their own resiliency. So if you ask someone on the street, what would happen if you lost a child or if you got a divorce or if you, uh, you know, were in a car accident or, you know, whatever, whatever bad thing. And most people would say, well, oh, I would be crushed. You know, I'd be crushed by this. If I got divorced, if I lost a child, I, I couldn't go on. And what we find is that people are a whole lot more adaptable and a whole lot more resilient than they think to bad things. So when bad things come into our life, even things that we might think that that would have crushed us, you know, sort of if you had been asked on a normal day, we're actually a lot stronger than we than we realize and we're more able to handle those things. So that's the good news. The bad news is that it works in the other direction too. Like we think that if something really great happens to mm. us, that it's going to dramatically improve right. the way that we feel. And you know, the lesson here is that big positive things uh, don't influence our happiness a whole heck of a lot. And uh, big negative events uh, were more resilient than we think. So, I mean, I always joke about the most disappointing day of my life was the day that I got my PhD because I had really built this day up in my mind as sort of a <laughs> 
you know, sort of a yes. trans- transformational day. And then the day came and, you know, you get your diploma and you're just the same schmuck that you were the day before. And it's <laughs> nothing's different, you know. Wow. Um, well, and it was so disappointing to me, but yeah. I don't know. I can equate that to turning 16 thinking the phone was instantly going to start start ringing and dates were going to start pouring in. Yeah, that's still I'm still waiting for that. So it's, it's been an interesting understanding that a particular date, a degree, a certain amount of money is not going to bring all that you expect it will. I wonder if this faulty foundation that has anything to do with capitalism and the pursuit in particular in America for uh independence from any other person or thing, entity helping us, in particular, maybe a, a government or a charity relying on that to help us get through in life. Do, do we think that if we can gain independence through money, that we are going to be happy? I think it's very complicated because, you know, philosophers talk about the absurdity of life. I mean, they have a very specific meaning for the absurdity of life, which is basically, you know, you're put here on earth, and you come into a world where there's there's no like capital T truth given to you. You don't get a book on what it's all about. And, you, you know, you're sort of thrust into life without knowing what you ought to do or where you ought to go. And so I think we're always clamoring for something physical and measurable to hang on to. And, you know, even when I read Dr. Frankel's remarks that I think a lot of people would agree with, I mean, it still really falls back on our shoulders to create this life of meaning, to discover what that meaning is for us. And it's hard, frankly. And it's a much easier thing to fall back on something that's measurable and, and, you know, more or less easy to get like money and say, well, this is it then because I can measure it, I can get more of it, I can spend it. So I think the tangibility and the measurability of money leads us to think that it's where it's at, and just the absence of a clear path. I wouldn't implicate capitalism in particular because I think other economic programs have brought a lot more unhappiness to the world than capitalism. But I think there is something to what you talked about, the the competitive sort of individualistic nature of Americans that doesn't lend itself to happiness. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about real joy. We'll be right back. HR Latte is brought to you by Dovetail Software a SaaS-based HR case management and help desk solution to ease today's HR departments into tomorrow. Simple but powerful real-time employee engagement, knowledge management, and detailed analytics empower human resource departments and shared services teams to effectively handle any type of employee interaction. Dovetail Software, by HR, for HR. Hey, everyone, and we are back with Dr. Daniel Crosby talking about, in particular, money does not directly equate to meaning as part of my Pursuit of Happiness series. Dr. Crosby, thanks for joining us. I'm really happy that you've been able to uh, hop on these podcasts with me and share a little bit about what you have discovered. And I think there is so much for us each to discover about where we can go, what we can do in pursuit of our own happiness. And I love the attachment to money. I myself, I love money and I have found that the times in my life when I have been able to not worry about paying bills or losing my house, which I have had in the past, that it's there has been a piece that I was unfamiliar with. 
when I wasn't worrying about those things. So I, I believe that there is a way for money to buy happiness. And so what I'd like to talk about now, though, before we wrap up this particular episode is to touch on the topic of real joy. How do we know, Dr. Crosby, when we're, we are experiencing real joy? Maybe we are, are thinking that it's just going to be something leaping out of us, you know, that is so fantastic and wonderful. Or what I wonder if it is more like what I expressed earlier, that it's just a piece. And sometimes we look beyond that, that piece, being able to sleep at night, you know, not having the, the external worries all the time. And is that what real joy is? Or what do you, what do you think? So I'm a shrink, so I'm going to try and approach this as scientifically as I can. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yes. (laughs) The study of psychology is interesting. It started, you know, 125, 150 years ago, and it started out with the bad stuff. Like, you know, the first first things we measured were all the ways that your mom had screwed you up, right? Like all the ways that you could be pathological and insane and clinical. And only in the last, you know, 20, 30 years have psychologists really turned their gaze to what makes people great, what makes people happy. And some of the best work that's been done there has been done by a guy named Dr. Martin Seligman. And he came up with what he calls the PERMA, P-E-R-M-A model of happiness. And these are sort of the evidence based from his, his studies. This is the evidence for what makes us really joyful, really happy. So it's an acrostic. It stands for the, these five things. So the first is positive experiences. And this is what most people equate to what, you know, I think you're referring to as joy. It's like fun, fun, right, joy. Right. Yeah, fun, joyful parties and concerts and things like that. But he says that's only one of the five facets of happiness. He says the second is engagement, which is frankly like hard work, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting in there and doing uh, hard work. The third, the R is for relationships, which we know are important. Uh, the, the M is meaning. So working for something bigger than yourself. And the A is for achievement, which is we want to be getting better every day. We want to be progressing. So it's this combination, like the joy, the fun, the going on vacations is a piece of it. But we also need hard work. We need to be getting better. We need to be doing this in the context of loving relationships. And we need to be working for something bigger than ourselves. Perfect. Okay. Well, there, I, I am always in pursuit of joy. And I think that, that most people are. And I, I think that there's a, a lot to learn. Uh, please say for me, then, Dr. Martin Seligman, did I say that? You did. You got it. Okay. And does he have a, a particular book that, or has it just been his life study? He has a number of books and okay. I'm blanking on the titles now, okay. but yeah, he has a number of books. We'll, we'll post them in the description of this particular podcast, but it's, it's been a pleasure, Dr. Crosby, as usual. We're going to come back in our next episode and talk about the good behind money. We touched on this briefly in this episode about experiences, about the good that can come by actually having enough. So we'll be back in our next episode. Thanks, Dr. Crosby. Thank you. 